You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. How you guys doing tonight? It's good to look out and see you guys. Um, great to be diving back into the gospel of Luke with you. Good to look out and see some visitors. And uh, I'm... Uh, I'm excited to be going there with us. It'll be Luke chapter 14 this evening. And uh, I know I've got a little bit of extra time on the clock. Of course, I don't know what extra time really means when you're long-winded like me. You take bunny trails all the time. And after you've had like an 80-hour week, you never know what I'm going to say while I'm up here, right? So it's going to be really, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be really, really interesting. But I just, I don't want to, I kind of want to draw a highlight on a couple of different things, a couple of things Eric said and a couple of other things too. Um, some of you may notice on Facebook that uh, we uh, held a membership seminar this last Saturday, which for us is a bit historic because we've kind of had a goal for the last nine months or so of reaching uh, 40 adult members. This kind of gives us a, a bit of a sustaining momentum moving forward, and, uh, and, and based upon our class this last week, and then based upon this next Sunday, which will be the elder interview side of that membership process, as I get to sit down with them and kind of finalize the process, then, then next Sunday during our gathering, we'll do kind of a formal membership commissioning for them as we commission them into the ministry of our church family and, and as we kind of talk about them and who they are. And so I just think we need to give the Lord a round of applause for his provision that way. And I would like to follow it up with this. Um, I know that next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, so as your pastor, I'd like to say this. You better be here. I will come and kick your butt. That's all there is to it. Like, I, I am going to hit record on my DVR, and I'm going to come show up and hang out with the church family because that's super important. I'd love to take the night off, but guess what? I'm not going to, and neither are you. So hit report, record on your DVR. I promise to do the best that I can to keep things short next Sunday, and then we can all head home to our respective places press play, and watch that Super Bowl, and hopefully everybody can eat finger foods while they're at home as well. Um, I doubt it. I doubt it. I uh, would love to invite everybody over to my house, but I can tell you that that's not the best idea. I don't have a huge house, so I would love to have you come watch with me, but I bet you your gospel community leader could probably line up places for you guys to go, go watch Super Bowls, and if not, I'm sorry. I don't know what to say, so... Um, all I can say is if you're not here, like, I don't know, I, like, I'd be questioning your salvation maybe. No, I'm kidding. I hope you guys know I'm being super sarcastic and just playing and uh, just, just, yep, questioning salvation based upon a Super Bowl. I think we should, I think we just need to clear the air and get that all out of the way right away. So hope to see you guys this next week, especially for those new members coming in. I think that'll be really special for them and really important for us as a church. As we, as we come to that 40 adult member mark, that also means we've got about 30 kids running around here, which puts, puts us over 70. We're at like 73 total bodies. That's a lot of people to keep track of. I just need to let you know that. Lots of people to keep track of. Uh, I am thankful for our leadership team that met this last week as we discussed finances, as we discussed people. We did some really good gossip as we talked about people that are part of the church and things that are happening. Last week was really awesome as we baptized, what, eight people. I think that deserves another round of applause again, too. I realized that in, in nine months, the last time we did a baptism was in April of 2014, and in nine months, we baptized well over 20 people, nearly 30 people, if I remember right. Does that sound right, Brandon? Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 22 people. It was 22 people that, well, that's because you got into an accident because you were riding on your moped, which isn't as cool as a bike, but. <laughs> so, we're going to do this back and forth all night long. <laughs> 
22 people we've baptized in less than nine months, and nine months ago, we didn't have a single official member except for me. I was it. And so we have come a long ways in nine months. Been a lot of hardship, been a lot of difficulty along the way, but God is faithful. I don't want to sound too religious, but can we say amen to that? That God is faithful. He is doing a lot through our, through our little church. And, and I, I just think it's really cool. It is really cool to be a part of. And what Eric said earlier is absolutely right. And I, so I just want to dovetail on that. I also want to dovetail on the financial piece. I want to say this. And we're going to talk about that every week. It may get mundane. It's going to be the same stinking report every week. Like, here's what we need. Here's where we're at. Here's how much money we have. Here's our budget. Here's where we are. Why are we going to do that? The reason is this. Like, we talk about the lounge being closed every week and not wanting to spill water on the floor. We better talk about money, too. Money makes us squirm. Money makes us feel uncomfortable. I hope that most of you that are here, if you're visitors, I hope you'll kind of be able to squirm through this. But those of you that have been with us for a long time, you know, like, we don't ever talk about money. We, we just don't. And we're at that place where, like Eric said, we feel that pressure coming in June. That's $2,000 a month that's an income right now. It's getting dumped in externally that just dries up and goes away in June. That's a lot of money. Um, And so I think we're feeling that pressure, and we're just like, you know what, Lord? We've got to talk about money. And honestly, Jesus talks about money more than anybody else in the scriptures anyways. So actually, we're being really unfaithful by not talking about it. And so we're not going to stand here and beat the heck out of you or anything like that. We're just always going to give the report, and we're always going to kind of give the ask. We're always going to ask, hey, please be a part of this. Please jump in, support, and be a part of this thing as a family as we move forward. The idea of looking for 70 people to give $100 a month, that's, that's really small. Uh, it may sound like a lot for some of us, and trust me, I know that there's some of you here you can't do that, and I know where you're at, and that's okay. We're not asking you to do what you cannot do. But I do know that there are many of us in this room, we can do that, and we can do more than that. And, uh, and honestly, I think the, uh, the, the ability and the amount that we're able to dig deep and give is kind of sets the, uh, the tone for how much we can do in this community as well. Honestly, though, God is the one who starts and ends that. He is the one that pours that blessing out. He's the one that gives that resource. And so I just trust him to move on people's hearts. I trust him to continue doing his work in our church family. So, so thank you for being willing to listen to that. Thank you for being willing to be here. Thank you for all of you that are just kind of uh, on board with the mission of this church plant, because this is an insane thing for us to be doing together. So... I say those things, uh, and then I kind of want to just dive into our text. Is that cool? Can I pray first? Oh, cool. I don't have to ask permission, right? Bow your heads. Let's pray. I'm really super snarky and sarcastic tonight because I worked way too much this week, so you have to really forgive me. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Lord, thank you for gathering us here. This is, uh, this is super exciting. This is really good. It's good to be with your people, Lord God. This evening is good to worship. Lord, thank you for, uh, for people in this room and for their hearts. Lord, I pray that as I preach this word tonight, Lord God, that you would give me words to speak, that you would give me energy, that you would give, uh, that you would give me a, a heart that hears you. And I pray that for our church family and everyone that is gathered here as well, that you would open our hearts to hear you. I know that each of us comes into this space, this place, and this time with different things on our shoulders, different things on our agendas, and different things happening in our lives. Lord God, I know that. I pray, God, that you would focus our minds and our hearts. I also pray this, Lord God, I'm aware that the, the book of Psalms says this, says that uh, uh, kisses from an enemy are profuse and destructive, but, but the wounds of a friend are faithful. Wounds of a friend are faithful. Lord, I know this passage tonight. I know this text, and I know how you speak through it. I know what Jesus says, and I know that, I know that he calls us friends. I know that you call us your friends if we're trusting in you and walking with you. And so, Lord, as your word cuts and slices and dices, I pray that it repairs and heals and restores at the same time. I pray that tonight, Lord, that my words would be 
faithful words of a friend to everyone else that is gathered in this room. Lord, I pray those things. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Question I want to ask us to frame our time together. Question I want to ask is this. What does it cost you to follow Jesus? To think about it for a minute. Like what has it cost you personally to follow Jesus? Because here's my suspicion, here's my issue as we arrive tonight in this church, in this place, in this time. My suspicion and my issue is that as an American culture, when we arrive at this concept and this idea of being a part of something, when we arrive at this concept of Christianity, we don't have a tendency to come asking this question, what's it going to cost me and how much can I possibly give of myself? so that I can follow Jesus. We don't ask that question. Here's what we really ask. We have a tendency to ask this question. What's the least amount that I can give so I can get my butt in the door? We have a tendency to ask that question that way. We live in a consumeristic society and a consumeristic culture, always looking for the best deal, the best bane for our buck. Let me give you an illustration. Some of you know my story, like you know my past, you know my present, you don't know my future yet, neither do I, only God knows that, right? But you know some of my past, you know where I come from, like dirty, rotten, heathen, biker dudes, sleeping around, sexual addictions, um, drug addictions, uh, alcohol addictions, and those types of things, really rotten guy, and at some point Jesus gets a hold of me and my life radically changed from that point forward. This is the story that many of you share as well. Many of you share in this same story. You look in the past and you see who you used to be. Something you may not know about me, and maybe some of you do, is that I used to be a drywaller. I used to own a really small sheetrocking company, had uh, typically very small handful of employees, and, and we would hang sheetrock all over Lincoln and multiple other small communities. You notice I didn't get a cup with a hole in it this week, right? Last week I dumped it all over myself. So we own, I own this uh, small sheetrocking company, and I'll never forget this one job that, uh, that, that uh, we got. It was at uh, Wesleyan College in Lincoln. <clears throat> and, I, and I remember the first day showing up on the job site for this uh, uh, for this job. And typically what happens for a drywall contractor is you show up, you bring your tape measure, you bring your calculator, bring your notepad, bring your pencil, your pen, and you start measuring walls. And what happens is you're not the only drywall contractor there. There's a ton of other drywall contractors there as well, and they're doing the same exact thing you're doing. And the moral of the story is what we're trying to do is we're trying to measure up all the walls. We're trying to measure up how much mud it's going to take, how much tape it's going to take, how much sandpaper, how many man hours, and all those things so that we can calculate a bid so that we can then all put these bids in to the owner of the property, and then our hope is to get the lowest bid, because if you get the lowest bid, you get the job, which means your company gets to go to work next week. So uh, the cool thing was that we got the bid. Like, I, I was able to calculate it this way. I got the lowest bid, got the job, started working on it. It was just three floors of dorms is what it was. And so a few months later, as we're finishing up the second floor of these dorms that we're doing this work in, I'm sitting out in my truck and I'm calculating kind of where we're at. And I, and I realized something. I had miscalculated in the beginning and had only bid for two floors, not three. So I had totally blown it in terms of calculating the cost of what it was going to take to do this job. And it was disastrous. I think this is a great illustration for the way that we have a tendency to come to this topic of what it means to follow Christ. Again, I think that many of us, instead of asking how much will it cost me to follow Jesus, many of us are asking how can I follow Jesus while giving as little as possible. So that's what this text is gonna combat for us today. 
My hope and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to each of us, challenge us, encourage us, wound us, heal us, reveal things deep within us, and set us free from those things which keep us in bondage, primarily this big sense of how can I slide in and barely give anything in return. To the message of the gospel is this. The message of the gospel, you guys hear it every week if you're with us. The message of the gospel is simply this. God created you and I, and then because of Adam and Eve's sin, we were born into a sinful world, and because of that, we are marked and marred by sin. And I think the easiest way to define uh, for us what sin is, it's anything that goes against what God asks of us. And so then we live our lives knowingly and unknowingly, often in ways which do not bring glory and honor to his name because we live in a sin-soaked world and we ourselves are infected with sinfulness, which really in reality, if we go all the way back to Lucifer in the very beginning when he fell from heaven, it's a severe sense of self-focus, pride. It's us waking up in the morning and thinking first about us and second about God. First about us and second about what we might give to follow Christ. But the reality is that what God did was before the foundations of the world, before the beginning of time, he made a plan with Jesus to send Jesus here. Jesus made this plan to come here, to leave behind that great comfy space of heaven next to God the Father and God the Spirit to come here to do what he's doing as we study the Gospel of Luke. As we study the Gospel of Luke, we learn who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he said. And what he came to do was to die on a cross for you and I, to give it all completely so that you and I could be ransomed and saved and won back from the penalty of our sins. This is the message of the Gospel. This is the good news. This is what we rest in as a church. Scriptures are very clear that if this message that you're hearing is not good news to you, then the reality, as Paul says it, is that this is actually bad news for those who are perishing, but good news for those who are being saved. This is good news to you this evening as you hear this, then you can rest assured that God is speaking to you, and he's speaking to you in a salvific way. He's speaking to you in a way that is saving as he speaks to you. The good news of the gospel is that there's no hope that lies in me, but all my hope and peace lies in my Father in heaven who gave Jesus for us. So then we enter into Luke chapter 14, and Jesus has been spending time with these Pharisees at a party, and he's been saying some really hard, very difficult things. He's been confronting them for their pride and their their arrogance and their and their uh, their unwillingness to receive the message of the gospel, to receive the invitation of the gospel, to come and follow him and to rest in him. He's been speaking about them. He's been speaking very forthrightly, and Jesus doesn't stop speaking forthrightly. He doesn't stop speaking offensively and directly in this passage. What we basically learn in this passage, big overview, is this, that if we are to be disciples of Jesus, if you are here and you call yourself a follower of Christ, or even if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, and you're like, yeah, I'm kind of checking this out, I'm thinking about it, I want you to hear this. If you are or if you're thinking about following Jesus, we must count the cost of carrying the cross, must count the cost of carrying the cross because the cost was high. It cost Jesus his life. He died so that you and I could have the opportunity to hear this message, respond to it, come to faith in him. We must count the cost of carrying the cross. We must count the cost of discipleship. And we also must count the cost of what it means to actually hear him speak to us. See, there's a cost. If you and I refuse to listen, we refuse to hear, there is a cost. It will cost us. Pick it up in verse 25. Let's read. The great crowds accompanied him, 
And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he was laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if salt loses its taste, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use. Either for the soil or for the manure pile, it is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, verses 25 to 27, we learn this principle. We learn, we learn that we must count the cost of carrying a cross. Jesus makes this very bold proclamation during a time when great crowds are following him. And he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. These are, these are strong words, right? Strong words, but Jesus doesn't just stop there. Like if, like if any of us are wondering what Jesus means when he says, pick up your cross and carry it, he goes on to describe what he means when he says this. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Three things, three things in terms of what it means to pick up your cross and count the cost of what it means to actually carry it. The first thing is this, that if we're going to count the cost of carrying our crosses, it will cost us popularity. It will cost you popularity if you're going to pick up your cross and carry it like Christ. I want you to think about the early disciples. The early disciples were always asking Jesus, hey, Hey, when we get into the kingdom, when you establish your kingdom, when you build it, will you let me sit right next to you? Who gets to be the guy that has the title of Jesus' lieutenant or bearer of arms? Like, who gets that patch on their vest? And Jesus is like, you guys, you guys don't get it. You guys don't get it. I didn't come to build an earthly kingdom. I didn't come to build an earthly kingdom. I came to build a heavenly kingdom. This isn't about where you get to sit or where you don't get to sit. The reality is that you will face persecution. You will face suffering. This will be hard. Being Jesus' disciple is not about an easy peasy message whereby we get our ears tickled, think we get everything because we follow him. The reality is the message of the gospel bids us to come to him and suffer. It's a hard road. When we see the, the, the picture of Jesus walking down that road with a cross over his shoulders, I want you to think about this. Like, like for us, the cross in our culture, in our Americanized like version of Christianity, and let me, let me like take another bunny trail too and I'll come back to the picture of the cross. Like here in America, we have no clue what Christianity really is about. We've lost the message of the gospel. 
Like we think that the message of the gospel is about whether you're conservative or whether you're, or whether you're liberal. Like I want you to hear me on this. Like we live in a culture that is so wrapped up in entitlement and in the blame game of everybody else for ruining our so-called country. And the reality is this, we live in a post-Christian generation. Like nobody believes in the gospel in, in, in America. This is not the foundation of who we are anymore. We need to understand that our Americanized version of Christianity is much more about entitlement than it is about privilege. Like, like hear me on this. Like, I, Jordan, right? Like, I love my guns, right? If I could pull mine out and shoot a hole in the ground like that video you showed me, I would, but I don't have it on me because I don't carry it at church. But I love my guns, right? There are a lot of people that don't. It's, it, it's not a right. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that I get to live in this country and carry my gun, Right? If I live in some other country, I don't get it, man. There's kids living in, in trash heaps somewhere getting raped by bad guys every night. And we live here in this comfort that we call America. We've been blessed. Don't hear me wrong. We've been blessed. But the reality is that we oftentimes, far too often, we read through a lens of this Americanized dream that you build it and, and it will come. Like we live with this picture of the Americanized dream where you get like, you get married, you get 1.5 kids, I don't even know how that happens. You get a big house with a two-stall garage, you get three trucks to pull in there, and you got a whole bunch of like fun and games down in your man cave. And that for us, we're entitled to that, and if we don't get it, we get butthurt. Like this is where we live. You, you look at social media today, look at social media, look at everybody's posts on there. It's all about me, I, me, I, and what I get and what I don't get. And the reality is this, Jesus is saying that if you're going to pick up your cross and you're going to carry it, it's not, you're not going to get popular. Jesus didn't get popular. He got nailed to a cross. Like why, should, why should we expect any more than what he got? It cost him that. What do you think it should cost us? His disciples all died horribly. Followers all across the world have been persecuted and martyred and suffered greatly. We have it really easy here. We need to count our blessings, guys. The reality is it's not about popularity it's not about what you or I get. The reality about carrying the cross is this. When Jesus looked at his disciples and he said this in this text, I want you to think of the setting for a moment. Like when he says, hey, you're going to pick up a cross and you're going to carry it, what he's saying is you're going to pick up an instrument of death. You're going to pick up an instrument of torture and you're going to carry that. That's what I want you to do. And if you lived in Jesus' day, the cross itself would mark you as the scum of the earth. Only lawbreakers carried crosses. And nobody gave them at the time of day. You didn't invite somebody over who was carrying a cross to come hang out with you and watch dinner. Why? They were going to die. They were carrying a cross because they were going to die. But here's what we do with crosses, right? We, we get necklaces. We wear them. We hang them on our rearview mirrors. We post things on Facebook. What do you think it'd be like, ask this question a few times over the years, what do you think it'd be like if next week when you show up there's a pile of crosses outside and, and we say, you know what, this week, this week we are not, we're not going inside, we're all going to pick up that cross, we're going to start marching around town with it. We're going to get a picture of what this actually feels like and looks like. To carry a cross, for, for Jesus to tell his disciples, hey, if you're going to come follow after me, you got to bear your own cross. What he's saying is you have got to learn to walk the road of humiliation. It's not, not about popularity. It's about humiliation. It's not about making brand new friends. It's about making God your friend reality when it comes to the cross is that we 
have to count, count the cost. Not going to make us popular. In fact, you're probably going to lose friends if you choose to follow Jesus. You're probably going to lose some. <coughs> Second thing that Jesus says about counting the cost of carrying a cross is that it will cost us our earthly relationships. Before I go there, like go back. Go back to the very first verse. Where does it say what's happening when Jesus said these things? Like a ton of people were gathering around him. A ton of people were gathering around him. Isn't that the right time to like preach the easy message? Isn't that the right time to preach the encouraging message? Hey, yo, guys, I'm glad you're all gathered here. Come here, let me tell you what it's going to be like in heaven. Like there's going to be harps and arrows and gold streets and all sorts of really awesome feasts. No, he doesn't do that. Jesus talks about heaven, don't hear me wrong. But what does he do when a whole bunch of people gather around? Starts, talk, starts talking about picking up an instrument of shame and humiliation and death. That's what he starts talking about. This is Jesus' big topic that he wants to talk about when there's a whole bunch of people gathered around him. And he moves on. Moves on, starts talking about relationships. He makes this really bold statement. It's wild, it's crazy. People have mistreated and misquoted this passage far too many times. I pray that I can do it some justice tonight. Jesus says that if we come and we follow him and if we don't hate our father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, then we cannot be his disciples. Like I would not be a very faithful pastor if I came up here and I just glossed this one over and walked on to the next one. But I can tell you my subtle temptation deep down inside is to walk away from that text. Right? Hate your mom and dad. Hate your brothers and sisters. This is not what I've been teaching my kids like all the time that we're growing up. I've been teaching them to love people, right? Isn't this the message of scripture? To love one another. We don't hear this message of we're to hate one another, do we? So what is Jesus doing? Is he like contradicting himself? Is the guy a lunatic? Because if he is, he's contradicting himself. Then there's a contradiction in scripture and it's not true and we should walk away from it and no longer listen to it. Like this is one of the questions of the onlooking, unbelieving world. Doesn't Jesus contradict himself? The answer is no. What Jesus is doing is he's speaking in what I would call hyperbolic language, speaking hyperbole, big word, right? He's speaking in exaggerated language, right? It's kind of like me if I'm talking to one of my kids and like they got in trouble for the umpteenth time and I'm like, if you don't stop doing it, I'm gonna ground you for the rest of your life. Am I really gonna ground them for the rest of their life? No. I'm not. I'm not gonna really ground them for the rest of their life. Is Jesus really saying we are to literally hate those people around us? The answer is no. What he is, I think, saying is that anybody that comes before him, anybody that comes before him means you cannot follow him. If you have taken any relationship in your life and you have placed it above what God has asked you to do, you are not following Jesus. That's what he's saying. You cannot follow me. You cannot follow me if you're taking any other relationship and making it primary and making me secondary. We must count the cost of carrying cross. So if we truly follow Jesus and carry our crosses, it will cost us. It will cost us deeply. It will cost us painfully. It will be very difficult for us as it costs us some of those earthly relationships. Earthly relationships that compete with living, God-honoring lives. I have sat down with many young women and young men and said, this is not the way God has asked you to live. And they've given me the finger and they've walked away. And they thought it was my fault. God is the one speaking. I'm just a spokesperson. That message has simply cost me some relationships that, that were super valuable to me and super close. Caused deep wounding and deep pain. 
to be honest, I've probably caused deep wounding and deep pain in return as well because like when I get offended and when I get hurt, I say things in a, in a rough way as well. The reality is this. Like young ladies and young men, if you are idolizing some dude or some girl because you think that sexual relationship that you're in is gonna fulfill all your fantasies and all your needs, there's no hope there. There's no hope there. All it is is a cycle of using and abusing one another over and over and over and over again. And you'll bounce from one person to the next. And you'll continue to walk out this life of hurt and pain. I know because I've walked it. Many of us in this room know what that's like. We've walked it. We know. We don't want to see you there. We want to see you put Jesus first. You call yourself a Christian. You've got to count the cost. Carrying a cross, you've got to count the cost of earthly relationships. Third thing that Jesus says under this heading of carrying our cross and counting the cost is that we need to count the cost of the ways of living that we hold dear. Jesus says that we, when we come to follow him, it's not just that, that we gotta take every earthly relationship and place it secondary to Christ himself. I mean, I, I mean, you think about this, that this is hard for you to swallow and hard for you to hear. I want you to think about the relationship between Father God, the Son of God, and the Spirit of God before the foundations of the world, before the foundations of the earth. It's like some sort of a cosmic board meeting between the three of them who are eternally coexistent, always together in lifelong relationship, can't end it, right? And they made this plan. Jesus would leave the side of the Father and the Spirit to come here to get on mission to seek and to save that which was lost or those whom were lost, you and I. He left that. So he doesn't ask us to do anything different. But the reality is that any relationship that you have that you place in front of Jesus has become idolatry for you. It's become idolatry for you. Jesus moves on and he says, not only that, you've got to count the costs of the ways that you live. He says that if we do not hate our own life, in other words, hate the ways of living that we hold dear, if we do not do this, we cannot be his disciples. Like in our culture today, this message is not a popular message. I'm not just speaking of the world that we live in, I'm speaking of the church culture that we live in, in our country. It's not a popular message. Like popular message today is, hey, come and be happy. And Jesus is going to like come and fill you and give you everything you want. He's going to give you that wife or that husband and that 1.5 kids and that big gigantic house. You can live in your cocoon. You can pretend like there's not bad things happening across the world or even right next door. That's the messages we hear being preached all over America today. Message that Jesus is preaching in this passage would not be popular. It is not popular today. It's not popular to preach the way of the cross because to preach the way of the cross is to preach against the mainstream of popular culture. It's to preach against the mainstream of popular culture which says, take the easy road, get popular, have friends, build your own kingdoms, do what makes you happy. You can't judge me. Like, I'm only the one that can judge me. This is what our culture teaches us every single day. Have sex with whomever you want. Post whatever you like on social media. Self-medicate on the drug of your choice. Get blasted at the party on Saturday night. If it feels good, then do it. You, only you, are the judge of what's right and wrong. You can use and abuse anything and anyone to stroke your appetite for pleasure. 
This isn't the way of the cross. This isn't the message that Jesus preached. You might argue with me and say, well, wasn't Jesus a preacher of love? Yes. Yes. I think the reason that Jesus came and preached love was more about love God and then love your neighbor in the same way that you want to be loved. That doesn't mean we stand by and watch mass destruction happen either. This way of the cross is more about self-denial. I told you it's about death, about picking up that cross and walking with it. It's about denying ourselves all the pleasures that we would want, all of our sinful desires. It's about denying those desires. It's about, it's about denying our desires for self-expression, denying our desires for self-gratification, and denying our desires for self-promotion. Man, if we are truly Jesus' disciples, then the reality is that we will carry our crosses, and carrying our crosses will cost us the ways of living that we hold dear. Let me ask you this. You counted the cost of carrying a cross. If you counted that cost, if you thought about it, like here's what I would encourage many of us to do. Like take the big flat screen TV you have in your living room and drop kick it out the door. Get a cross and put it there instead. When you come home at night after your long day at work and all you can think about is how tired and worn out you are, instead of self-medicating in front of that TV, like look at that cross. Like remember how much it cost. Remember how much it cost Jesus when he carried that cross down that road. If you claim you are a Christ follower, sit there and look at that cross. Think about his broken body and his shed blood. But if you're here and you're not a believer, if you're here and you've never heard this message, my, my hope and my prayer is that you would hear it and that you would turn from all those things that you think will save you, give you hope or give you comfort. You hear my passion and my emotion, not just because I've worked a lot this week, but because I'm passionate about people's lives being restored and being changed. That's why we plan this church. I don't want to see anybody that ever comes in here and hears a message here. Walk out that door and go back to the same lifestyle you were at and find that it's leading towards destruction because you refuse to listen. My hope and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would open your hearts and your minds this evening, that you would hear it and that you would gaze upon the cross of Christ, that you would not look at me or anybody else in this room and think how great we are in any way, but that you would see really broken people who are in need of Christ and that you would somehow maybe be attracted to following Jesus the same way and that you would find your hope, your salvation, peace, true peace, true joy with him you counted the cost of carrying a cross. What is it costing you? What is it costing you in terms of popularity to follow Jesus? What has it costed you? What has it costed you in terms of earthly relationships to follow Jesus? What has it costed you in terms of the lifestyle that you have held so dear to follow Jesus? If we are going to follow Jesus, we must count the cost of carrying the cross, cost of carrying cross will be popularity, earthly relationships, and the ways of living that we hold dear. Look at verses 28 through 33. When we see verses 28 through 33, we learn this. We learn that we must count the cost of discipleship. 
Discipleship has not been a super important topic in the church today. And, and before I go there, let me just kind of say this. Like in the church, it's really popular to separate the topics of evangelism and discipleship. It's popular to separate those two and say, well, I'm more called to evangelism or I'm, I'm more called to discipleship. And the reality is, is that Jesus didn't come to do one or the other and his mission wasn't about one or the other. His mission, actually, if you read the Great Commission in Matthew uh, 28, if you read that, he says, man, you got my authority. All authority that's been given to me, I now give to you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them in the way that we should live. It's not just one or the other, it's all three. And that word go is actually all about as you go, as you live, as you walk, as you run, as you are going. It's not like, hey, get up out of your pews and go, everybody. It's not that. It's more like, hey, as you are going, do this. Disciple people, baptize them and teach them. Not like, hey, choose which one you want to do. You want to baptize? Uh, you want to you teach them? That's fine. You can do one or the other. No, it's about all three. It's going baptizing and teaching all together. This is the main mission and ministry of the church. Evangelism, discipleship together. And when you separate one from the other, you effectively cut God's mission in half and you, and you make both of them useless. This is the reason the church today is so caught up in all of its evangelistic programs, all of its evangelistic events. And this is the reason why, because we've forgotten what it means to be walking and going as disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And like, if you call yourself a disciple tonight, then the reality is the cost of discipleship is this. The cost of discipleship is about finishing well. It's about finishing well. It will cost you to invest in discipleship. Otherwise, you won't finish well. You'll be mocked. And that's the reality of the church today. Like, I, take all the talking heads on Fox News and put them on TV right now. Like, they drive me nuts. Like, they are driving me absolutely batty right now because they're, 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 they're trying to spin this as some Americanized Christian thing. It's not. It's just it's flat out not. Like, I'm as conservative as the next guy comes. Don't hear me wrong. And maybe some of you are here liberal. You know what? I really don't care. It's okay. The problem in our culture is that we're always like, hey, you know what? Conservatives are the, they're, they're the problem. No, liberals are the problem. No, the problem is all of us. We've got a heart issue. We've forgotten what it means to be disciples who make disciples, who are on mission. We've, we've taken that coin of missions. We've cut it in half, rendered it useless. Jesus tells us in this part of the passage in verses 20 through 33, teaches us that we count the cost of discipleship, and he does this by telling two parables. He tells us two stories that, that are meant to teach us something. Stories, parables, not like a parables out in your pasture. Okay? Two stories meant to teach us something. First story he tells us is a story about someone who desired to build a tower, failed to count the cost of what he was building which meant that he was unable to finish the project. And because he was unable to finish the project, then everyone around him mocked him in foolishness. Let me ask you, how many times have you rededicated your life to Christ? How many times have you done this over and over again? How many times have you found your life to be a mockery because you actually haven't left behind that old way of living and began to live as a new person? When the scriptures say that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed, that doesn't mean that you're free to live in any old way that you want. 
It means that you're free to live after God. You're free to live like God. You're free to live in the way that God intended you. You're no longer in shackles and in bondage to your sinful way of living. That's the reality. That's what the gospel teaches us. The reality and the sad reality is that we have a country that is full of people. We have churches that are full of people. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be hard for no reason. We struggle in sin. We struggle. We struggle in sin every day. I don't think there's a day that's gone by that I've lived perfectly. There are some guys in our community right here in this city that teach and train that you've got to be sinless before you can go to heaven. That's rank heresy. If I can be sinless... I don't need Jesus. I do it on my own. No reason for me to sit in the church then. Jesus talks in this passage about the cost of discipleship. He shares these two stories. The second story that he shares is about a king who counted the cost of war and then offered terms of surrender. What Jesus is teaching us here is that when we come to follow him as his disciples, if we don't count the cost of discipleship, we don't finish well, We'll be mocked for our foolishness, but if we do count the cost of discipleship, we will surrender everything to God. That's the big picture. Jesus tells us that if we do not first sit down and count the cost of discipleship, we will be like a man who failed to count the cost. Have you counted the cost? Are you counting the cost? It's not about, like we watched in this video yesterday during our membership seminar, it's not about did you count the cost on one day, it's about are you still counting the cost today? You count the cost of discipleship. Do not first sit down and count the cost. We'll be like that man who failed to count the cost of building a tower and then therefore didn't have enough to complete it and was not able to finish well. The reality about Jesus is that he counted the cost. We have this great and grand picture of our Savior Jesus who did count the cost from before the foundations of the world. He took your picture, stuck it in his pocket, came here and walked to the cross for you and I. Though he knew that you and I would live like his enemies, though he knew that you and I would make war against him, he still came and he still went. He counted the cost. He knew it was going to cost him his very life so that we could be set free to follow him. Jesus' plan from before the foundations of the earth was written out carefully so that, so that he could completely finish the project of salvation. He hung on that cross and he said, it is finished. He made a plan. He came and he walked a lonely road with a cross over his shoulder for you and I so he could finish the plan of salvation so that you and I could become part of the family of God. If we don't count the cost of discipleship, we don't finish well. The second thing Jesus says about this is that if we don't count the cost of discipleship, we will be mocked for our foolishness. And Jesus tells us that if we don't count the cost of discipleship, we'll be like the man in his story who didn't finish well. And as a result, everyone who saw him began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You ever started a project you weren't able to complete due to a lack of resources? You ever decided to follow Jesus but then later found that He required more of you to follow him than you were willing to give up. And this topic of discipleship is a serious business. Like, here's the deal. I I made the comment earlier that I think a lot of us arrive at the table, so to speak, not asking, how much do I have to give up? We're asking, how little do I have to give up to get in the door? 
This is popular in our culture. Like I said, it's a consumeristic culture. And here's the deal. If you're here and you're following Jesus, you've been one out of that culture. And it's a very high possibility that you are still in the bonds of that thinking. And you're still thinking, how can I give just enough to like, get myself in and get right with God? How can I give just enough to get my stars on that chart in heaven? Like, we wouldn't actively, openly say that, but we often live that way, and actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. If we don't count the cost of discipleship, we'll be mocked for our foolishness, right? Third thing that Jesus says here about counting the cost of discipleship is that if we do count the cost of discipleship, we will surrender everything to God. In this second parable, Jesus tells us about this king who is going to war against another king. And after thinking about whether or not he could win the war, he realized that it would be completely disastrous for him to continue warring against this other king simply because this other king had more resources than him. When you think about the analogy of this, right? It says that he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Send delegation, ask for terms of peace. He uses this parable to make a statement about the cost of discipleship. And he says, it says, therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. This is about surrendering everything in our lives to follow him because it costs him everything to give us the opportunity to follow him. Sadly, we don't, we don't approach it that way. This is, this, is the, this is like the conflict of this text. This is the confrontation of this text for our idolatrous tendencies deep within our hearts. It's to remind us that we've got to surrender everything. You think about this picture of these two kings. Like this picture reminds me of our war that we have made against God. We are the kings of our own little kingdoms that we are building. And the reality is the scripture says there is enmity, hatred, anger, distance between us and God. We've made war against him. We've lived as his enemies. That's the good news is that somebody would lay down their life not just for a friend but for an enemy. Jesus came to lay down his life for his enemies so that we could then offer terms of peace. The terms of peace that we get to offer is Jesus himself. Okay, Jesus, I trust in you. Come save me. Come change me. Take my old life and put it behind me. Give me a new life, not one that gets the big house and the great wife and the new kids, not one where the grass is greener on the other side, but the one where we are no longer at war with our Father in heaven, the one where we live in absolute and utter peace with God in heaven. That's the picture. That's the remedy. Are you willing to surrender everything? Are you willing to surrender your relationships, your hobbies, your opinions, your treasure, your time, your pursuits, your dreams, about your sinful living. Are you willing to surrender that because he surrendered everything for you? Are you willing to surrender those things so that you can walk in peace with your Father in heaven? The cost of discipleship is complete, total, and absolute surrender which results in peace between you and God. Final portion of our text in verses 34 through 35, we learn that we must count the cost of refusing to listen to Jesus. Don't you just love the way Jesus outlines what he says? I mean, like he never lets up. He doesn't let up. Like I was hoping that as he slid into the end of this passage that it would get a little bit easier. Like come on, Jesus, say something really encouraging. Say something really nice here. Help me land on like a really high note. Nope. It's not the way Jesus preaches, right? Remember, there's a ton of people gathered around him. 
This is how he winds up wrapping up his message. He says this, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What we're learning is this, that if we don't listen to Jesus, we're like salt with no taste, useless, ready to get thrown away. He says it twice. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying, listen up, pay attention, open your ears, don't fall asleep, catch this piece. Like, let this one sink in. Don't stop listening to me. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be restored? In other words, we refuse to listen to him, we forfeit restoration. Let me unpack this. Pure salt, if you, if you get pure salt, it does not lose its flavor, all right? Pure salt does not lose its flavor unless the purity of it combined with something impure overtakes the purity of it. Follow me? That's when salt loses its flavor, is when it becomes completely impure. Otherwise, salt in and of itself, the pure form of salt will never lose its Taste, it's always good. But the salt in Jesus' day was not necessarily pure. The salt in Jesus' day was sea salt. It was mixed with all sorts of other impure salts. And so it would go bad sometimes. And what they would do is they would toss it. It was no longer good for anything. It wasn't good for the earth, either A, to fertilize the soil, and it also wasn't good for the manure pile, which is the crap pile, just in case anybody was wondering. The crap pile is what we usually fertilize our lawns with to help them grow. Jesus uses some really heavy language here. He's like, hey, if you lose your flavor, you're not good for the crap pile or the earth. You're just gonna get tossed. That's what Jesus is saying. That's heavy stuff. Because pure salt cannot be restored. It's a great picture of the gospel in this. All throughout the scriptures, the gospel makes its way in. I'm 